This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Convictions, market analysis and asset allocation views. Hello, good morning, good afternoon to everyone. Very happy uh, to be with you today uh, for this uh, new uh, conversation. Um, I hope first uh, this week again uh, that we all find you uh, in good shape, in good health, uh, you, your family uh, and your beloved ones. Uh, Today we're going to uh, explore the consequences uh, of the crisis we're living in on, in emerging countries. Um, in the past 10 days, we've seen a record of demand vis-a-vis the IMF coming from emerging countries. We've seen also a number of heads of states asking for the less developed countries in the world some kind of a debt relief, uh, either through postponing um, <clears throat> debt uh, or current uh, cancellations. Uh, for instance, the French president made that call uh, vividly two days ago at the Paris Club uh, gathered today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and so, therefore, even if a lot of the attention of the market is at the moment focused on the evolution of the pandemic uh, in Europe and in the US, nevertheless, uh, its impact on emerging countries is, of course, something of decisive importance for investors. So today with uh, Alexia, uh, our economist, Daniela, uh, the chief investment officer uh, of our emerging market platform, we're going to explore the consequences of the crisis on emerging countries. And we're going to do that in two parts. The first one that is going to be an in-depth look into the macro uh, of the situation in emerging countries. And then afterwards, going to what could be investment convictions in such moment. Uh, so, Alicia, I'm going to ask you to start with the first question. Uh, so, first, can you give us uh, your macro view uh, of at what stage uh, of the pandemic we are in emerging markets? Uh, and uh, in your view, what will be the countries being the most affected and what could be the economic impacts on these economies? Thank you very much, uh, Jean-Jacques, and uh, good afternoon to everyone. So, uh, in order to simplify my answer, uh, I try to find a way to read the sequential outbreaks uh, across the world. So, we became aware of the first outbreak episode in the mainland China in January 2020. We saw the second outbreak in South Korea and in the Western countries, mainly Europe and the US, uh, starting in the second half of February. Finally, uh, in the current weeks, uh, we are seeing uh, uh, that a sort of third wave, if we want to call it in this way, is concerning uh, more and more emerging and the frontier countries. And uh, among the emerging countries, uh, in terms of uh, infection curve, uh, Turkey, Brazil, Russia seem uh, the most affected countries so far followed but uh, at a certain distance uh, by countries uh, as India or, uh, or Peru. Having said that, uh, the, uh, at this point, uh, it's even fair to uh, highlight the fact that uh, the death toll in the emerging markets is still small in comparison with the one that the uh, main Western countries are uh, experiencing. Um, the good news for emerging markets is that uh, they can benefit uh, of the early warnings 
and the best practices put in place in the countries that uh, went earlier through the pandemic. But on the other side, the bad news is that uh, uh, most of the uh, emerging markets are not very uh, well equipped at health system level to face uh, uh, the kind of uh, severe, severe outbreak like the one seen in the hardest countries in the West, like uh, Italy, for example. Uh, that said, uh, as far as the economic impact that you are asking is considered, we do not uh, expect that uh, any. We do expect that uh, any country will be spared. So the combination of uh, the uh, domestic outbreak and the uh, related lockdown measures implemented to contain the outbreak, uh, let's say the cure of this disease, together with the external shocks uh, materializing. To to uh, in, in weaker demand from abroad and weaker tourist flows uh, will not save uh, anyone. So emerging markets are entering into recession in this current month, and yesterday the numbers published by the IMF were quite uh, quite clear on that. And uh, the depth of the land of this uh, recession uh, will mainly depend on the first of all on the infection curve dynamics. Then the lockdown measures uh, implementing the duration of these uh, measures, uh, and uh, at the at the end the, the recovery will very much depend if and when treatments or uh, for the virus or a vaccine will be uh, detected. So the uh, for certain countries the domestic demand uh, uh, struggle that they are experiencing will be amplified, and these will be the countries suffering most. Uh, because they are very much open economies, they are well integrated in the global supply chain or are commodity exporters, or maybe are very small uh, economies, uh, very much depending on uh, touristic uh, flows. So these are, uh, let's say, is, is a first classification, a first discrimination among the countries. Okay, well, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, at the moment, uh, I think uh, generally speaking on all asset classes, there is a question uh, about uh, market participants being uh, in some kind of uh, complacency vis-à-vis uh, -vis the situation. Uh, how do you see that vis-à-vis -vis emerging countries? Do you see that uh, so far the markets are correctly estimating or assessing the situation uh, uh, and the impact of the crisis on these economies. So that would be a first question. Uh, and second, as I was mentioning um, before, and you referred to it, uh, the uh, number of countries that have asked for the uh, help uh, of international authorities, mainly the IMF in particular. Um, what do you think uh, basically uh, the answer of the IMF could be? Uh, and uh, do we have the international capacity to face the demands coming from notably most vulnerable countries asking for help uh, in such a situation. So really two questions. Well, uh, how markets uh, are assessing the situation first and second, uh, a comment I would say on the international answer to the demands of emerging countries. Yes, uh, with regard to uh, your first question, uh, I will not enter in the camp of the market evaluation. I will leave this to, to Yerlan later. What I can say is that uh, as far as the emerging markets are concerned, uh, the first uh, uh, leg of the shock has been in a way uh, fairly priced by the, uh, the uh, emerging markets asset class across the spectrum, so looking at the spreads, looking at the equity market, and in particular looking even at the emerging markets, uh, 
effects that probably are the most sensitive asset class and the first to 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 react. Uh, since the uh, since since, uh, since a couple of weeks, since a month, the uh, some of the emerging market effects have marginally uh, reappreciated, but the levels remain very far away from the uh, levels uh, touched before uh, before the crisis. I think that the markets are not uh, underestimating the pandemic impact on emerging markets uh, at this uh, at this point. And what the markets have been doing probably is uh, in a way to uh, appreciate the massive stimulus put in place by the main central banks uh, around the world. So the, the Federal Reserve incremental effort to provide uh, Liquidity to the financial system or the ECB uh, that now has a limitless uh, commitment in its uh, bond buying uh, program. So these are the factors that the market probably have been appreciated, but at the same time, uh, there's still uh, a way of uh, cautiousness in looking at the level and the, uh, for example, the emerging market effects, the appreciating uh, levels. With regard to the second question and the um, IMF or the international institutions stepping in, I think that uh, it's clear looking at the IMF actions in the recent days that the the uh, IMF and the World Bank uh, have definitely stepped in. So uh, the fund uh, received around uh, 100 requests of disbursement or debt relief, and uh, is trying to quickly process all these uh, all these requests. In the next couple of days, so the 13 and 14 of uh, April, uh, many requests have been approved. For example, on uh, on Monday, uh, 25 countries received the debt service uh, relief at least for uh, initial six months, and this is based on the resource available for the uh, IMF. Because we, we need to highlight the fact that uh, the instrument. IMF has enough, uh, a big variety of instruments that they can use. The point is, find, is to find the resource to uh, actively use these, uh, these, uh, these instruments. So there are uh, emergency lines, uh, facilities, there are uh, more standard credit lines. The uh, IMF is trying to revamp uh, the uh, Catastrophe Containment and Relief Trust uh, with which it has uh, disbursed and it has provided the debt relief to these 25 countries, for example, and it has been able to do it recently because of the contribution of countries like UK, Japan, China or, or, or Netherlands. So I think uh, uh, the point here is for them have to find more resources to use for all the instruments that they have uh, uh, available. Okay, thank you. And uh, can you give us, uh, I would say, your opinion uh, also uh, on, uh, I would say, the policies vis-à-vis uh, -vis, uh, the, the crisis that have been put into place by emerging countries themselves? Uh, so what, what do you think uh, of the answer uh, on their side? Uh, and uh, do you identify some, I would say, particular countries where there are some specific areas of vulnerability uh, due, for instance, uh, for a lack of answer or lack of capacity to answer? Yes, uh, I mean, overall, the uh, emerging markets authorities uh, have turned uh, to a much more aggressive easing mode since the crisis uh, started. So at this point, I would say that the stimulus is still mainly driven by the monetary policy authority, much more than by the fiscal uh, authority. And there are few, very few exceptions to that. With regard to the, uh, let's say, the easy stance and how much the, uh, the emerging market central banks are pushing in this direction, uh, we 
ju- we just had a couple of days ago, Central Bank of South Africa uh, cutting the rates by 100 basis points in uh, an unscheduled meeting, just to um, to make clear the, uh, how much they are acting in this uh, in this sense. In, if we want to make uh, a, an example in terms of uh, coordination between monetary policy and fiscal policy, we do not have many, but. Recently, uh, Bank of Indonesia, together with the Ministry of Finance, of Finance have made together a coordinated effort uh, to show to the investors a plan, a clear plan, uh, made on a fiscal stimulus. And, uh, and because of that, the uh, monetary policy uh, meeting uh, just had by Bank of Indonesia left the uh, uh, policy rates on hold. So this is an example on how the policy mix is coordinating and working, leaving more space for the time being to the fiscal policy. Policy uh, more than to the uh, monetary policy authority. Having said that, uh, the, uh, on the fiscal side in particular, more should come to uh, to help and to uh, support the emerging market uh, um, economies. However, uh, as you were rightly pointing out, when we look at the stimulus in the emerging markets, uh, uh, we don't have we don't have to focus only on the impact uh, coming from the stimulus in terms of putting back on track the countries, but we have even to consider the collateral effect, the collateral impact of these policy stimulus, in particular in countries where there is uh, little policy room and high uh, vulnerabilities. So the combination of uh, recessionary growth rates, strong US dollars, and very low oil price can trigger rating, down, rating downgrades, and this has been happening in the last two weeks quite massively, currency crisis, and at worst, in the worst case, even uh, defaults. So in order to assess these risks uh, for emerging markets, uh, we need to assess uh, the fiscal uh, fragility of these countries together with their external vulnerability. So uh, as a simple uh, matter of fact, fiscal metrics in 2020 are going to deteriorate based on recession, based on the fiscal measures, so the impact on the fiscal deficit. Uh, and at the same time, the strong US dollar or the local, uh, local car or the weak local currency uh, are going to increase the external vulnerabilities. So crossing together all these uh, variables, uh, we came up with a, a kind of stress rank that uh, envisages countries like uh, South Africa, Colombia, Malaysia, even Hungary, as the countries more exposed to both sides, so fiscal fragility and external vulnerability. Mexico should gain the top positions, for example, if we include the contingent liabilities on the fiscal side, but if we don't include them as the rating agency don't, clearly is not at the top on both on both sides. So this is an exercise that we keep uh, alive in our daily discussion with portfolio managers uh, because uh, we have always to fine-tune and to reassess the risk based on the uh, flows of news on the macroeconomic side, but even on the policy uh, Okay, no, thank you very much, uh, Maybe moving to, to investment conditions, uh, and we will have to come back uh, to you, Alessia, also on a question on the impact of oil prices. Uh, but, uh, Yarlan, uh, I would like uh, first to, uh, to give a comment on something Alessia mentioned at the beginning, which is uh, at the beginning of the crisis, uh, markets have reacted particularly uh, vividly uh, on the emerging asset class. Uh, we've seen uh, strong outflows uh, across the spectrum and among, I think, uh, all the types of clients uh, worldwide uh, in emerging countries. I'm not saying that for Amundi, but in the market. 
So do you think uh, the sentiment in the market uh, remains the same uh, or do you think uh, there is a possibility uh, it changes in the short term and what could be the trigger of it? I think we uh, we have seen the worst in terms of the pressure on the market from the outflows perspective. Specifically in the recent past, we have seen some of the reversal of the flows. Of course, we have uh, uh, seen a significant shock in terms of retentions overall in the industry, we had uh, uh, 60 billion flowing out of emerging markets in a matter of weeks. So it's been a, a tremendous shock in terms of uh, tightening financial conditions, in terms of uh, availability of funding, of course, and also pricing on uh, uh, imposed now by the market for those countries who still want to fund themselves in the market. Uh, so we we uh, we have seen clearly that the um, with all risk assets collapsing, including the uh, uh, stock markets uh, across uh, the world, and um, uh, uh, if we look at the traditional um, measures of where emerging markets sit, we look at uh, uh, highly correlated assets like S&P in the in the U.S., and uh, we're also looking at the oil prices. So I think these two uh, have been uh, very highly correlated, and and whereas uh, uh, we have seen an improvement in in risk sentiment generally, if you look at the one component. Uh, which is S&P, uh, uh, we have seen still uh, a lingering question marks about what's going to happen to the oil because of the unprecedented uh, uh, shock on the demand side for oil. And that's where the issue has been for some of the uh, uh, countries which are reliant on the exports. So this is a, a major question mark for us, how quickly um, the uh, lockdowns will uh, will start um being unwound in order to restore the oil demand and uh, allow the countries that are reliant on the exports of the uh, uh, of the fuel and contra- uh, uh, carbohydrates uh, to to recover uh, uh, its exports. So I think these are two major uh, question marks for me, uh, 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 where we have seen uh, tentative uh, stoppage of uh, of uh, the carnage. In the market with the outflows, uh, we still see that there clearly is some stresses in, within the market, uh, uh, within a certain uh, high-yielding parts of the market uh, that have still to, uh, to be unwound. But overall, we will continue uh, monitoring the sentiment that is linked uh, uh, clearly towards this huge uh, OPEC plus plus uh, um, the uh, supply cut that we have seen. And uh, I think we are stabilizing at these levels of spreads where we have actually uh, retraced some of the losses that we had already. Okay, and how do you, well, Camille, you mentioned that already, but in the, in the fixed income world, the emerging markets, uh, how do you assess the current market valuations uh, in, uh, in that context? If we look at the context of the previous crisis where we have seen the most recently in 2008, Episode, uh, we have seen spreads uh, uh, that we uh, we have uh, witnessed uh, this time around as well. So we uh, uh, clearly went uh, uh, significantly above what we consider the fair uh, fair value. Uh, uh, initially, going into the crisis, we have seen uh, uh, the fair value of emerging market spreads being around 300 basis points. Uh, we clearly surpassed that, moving aggressively into. 725 was the, probably the highest point in terms of spread widening. But now we, uh, 
in the recent past that we have seen the OPEC plus plus deal and we have seen uh, a, a very a strong uh, and concerted um, response on the fiscal authorities in the, in the developed world. We have seen uh, a comeback of spreads and now we're trading uh, sub 600 basis points. Clearly, we cannot go back and say that the fair value uh, model will work in the same way now, given that the, uh, the nature of this crisis. So if we think about the fair value of the spread, we probably are uh, uh, fluctuating around four to 450 basis points. When I say fluctuating, because we still don't know the full extent of the, uh, uh, of the shock to the, uh, some of the emerging economies where we will still see uh, coronavirus uh, ravaging. So I think uh, if you look at uh, that uh, um, uh, price model, and we are hovering around just under 600 basis points, so overall pricing has uh, 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 clearly been improving, but we still have uh, uh, a significant premium of around 150 to 200 basis points of cheapness of emerging market assets if you compare it to the most recent crisis. So we, we obviously, uh, as Alicia said, have to monitor how uh, the response of the uh, countries will uh, will unfold in, in the coming weeks to assess the full um, uh, impact on the recovery of uh, asset prices. There were defaults uh, recently, not only in the context of this crisis. So, uh, do you think that do you expect uh, some uh, debt restructuring uh, in uh, emerging markets uh, in uh, the coming months? And do you think this is priced in already by the market or not? Uh, yeah, similarly again to 2008 crisis, if we look at the pickup in terms of what was the impact on the default um, levels, we have seen uh, um, uh, several countries already declaring its intention to restructure debt. We obviously were already engaged with Argentina uh, with engagement uh, now uh, extending to some other countries like Lebanon in, in March uh, and Ecuador uh, that was also um, announcing its intentions in March. Uh, we will see uh, smaller, uh, smaller, more dependent countries on the mono uh, exports. Uh, with, uh, uh, with with some of them are being in, in tourism, some of them being in commodities like Zambia or Seychelles that are actually are uh, looking to restructure debt potentially uh, this month, a month of April. So we will continue seeing uh, that uh, generally what we have seen pick up uh, of uh, default rates between sovereign corporates moving aggressively higher from uh, 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 around one percentage points, uh, if you're thinking about index impact, to uh, four or five percent per percentage points. So uh, really moving sharply uh, today and possibly even even going higher to towards uh, uh, six to eight uh, percent for the, uh, the most um, vulnerable uh, high-yielding countries. So I think we will continue seeing that. Uh, the market has already been pricing uh, uh, that uh, um, uh, restructuring uh, um, uh, uh, very efficiently, so we, we don't think there's going to be a significant more, significantly more underpriced uh, distressed stories. Okay, no, thank, uh, thanks a lot for that. Uh, and so, at the moment, uh, still uh, on the shipping side and the EMD side, uh, can you tell us what are your main convictions uh, in sovereign corporate, both uh, hard and local uh, currencies? If you look overall generally in fixed income space uh, uh, for a foreign exchange, uh, we are uh, still quite um, uh, uh, quite cautious overall. Uh, the reason being, of course, is that the flexibility of uh, FX regime in emerging markets really helps to cushion the uh, crisis 
uh, and therefore uh, we have seen this very strong response um, from the central banks uh, in emerging countries by uh, 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 really um, bringing down the interest rates in a very aggressive rate. And as Alessia mentioned already, South Africa, it has been extraordinary uh, uh, move, and we have seen some of the more conservative central banks uh, really throwing away uh, some of their models on the uh, inflation targeting and really trying to stimulate economy uh, today. So we have uh, uh, obviously uh, an impact of that on the appetite of uh, investors to uh, seek for carry trades. Of course, we have actually the opposite. Uh, a lot of uh, investors abandoning those uh, high-yielding uh, uh, countries uh, uh, and we have seen the impact on that in Brazil when uh, uh, interest rates went down too low for investors to consider it as an attractive uh, carry trade. Uh, we're seeing that uh, in South Africa where we have uh, a lot of outflows coming from the local markets and Iran being the, the worst uh, positions in terms of uh, um, uh, currency movement. So we will continue uh, seeing that even in, in cases where we have uh, uh, pegs the, uh, on emerging, in emerging market countries, this specs will be tested. Uh, so we still remain uh, relatively cautious on effects in emerging markets. Um, of course, uh, we have uh, on, on the sovereign side, generally, we prefer uh, less vulnerable countries. As Alessia said, our framework calls for uh, looking for some of the um, stronger balance sheet countries with fiscal buffers uh, that will allow these countries to come out of the crisis faster than others. So uh, clearly we have more bias towards Asia. We have uh, uh, China, uh, Indonesia, where we're along uh, those countries. Uh, and we are, uh, we like, uh, uh, even at this uh, oil prices, and with, uh, uh, we, we prefer uh, uh, countries like Qatar, uh, Russia. Uh, we have uh, uh, put uh, in a basket of uh, EM anchor uh, for coming from the uh, IMF some of the countries that have been performing relatively well. These are Ukraine and Organa, for example, the countries that are uh, quite likely to receive the aid from, uh, from the IMF. Uh, and we have seen uh, some of uh, uh, very uh, transparent and strong credits that were, were able also to come back and fund themselves in the market in these conditions, countries like uh, uh, Panama, for example, or Indonesia. Uh, a third uh, a range of countries that uh, could be still attractive uh, are based on our assessment on the re uh, distress recovery uh, and where we think that uh, recoveries uh, will be significantly higher compared to the current observable market prices and these countries include uh, Argentina, for example. So we have a, a number of interesting opportunities in the market today where we have a lot of uh, um, dislocations, uh, specifically on, uh, in the higher yielding space. Okay, thanks. And uh, maybe a last question before moving to the conclusion. Uh, on the equity sign, uh, do you already identify uh, areas uh, where it could be uh, interesting uh, to investigate further, to envisage, uh, I would say, a comeback? Uh, so what do you see, uh, what are your views uh, at the moment uh, from the equity perspective? We have been relatively defensive on the equity side. Uh, we uh, similarly to fixed income, uh, we were preferring uh, countries with a stronger balance sheet and, and bigger uh, fiscal um, uh, buffers. Clearly, what comes to uh, uh, to, to our mind, uh, of course, talking about Asia, is, is China, which has outperformed other countries 
uh, strongly uh, in, in this environment. What what also have worked well is that the, the, those countries with a strong uh, um, domestic uh, investor base, uh, even in the Middle Eastern countries, uh, most affected by the oil prices, we still saw a relatively stronger performance compared to other regions which uh, had not uh, a strong support of the domestic investor base. Uh, uh, in in that uh, in, in that way, we have been uh, clearly. Um, uh, uh, overweight uh, 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 the domestic stories in, in Asia compared to uh, uh, export stories that uh, uh, that were uh, based on the commodity uh, story uh, coming from Latin America, for example. Uh, in Simia space, uh, very similarly, we, we have been tested on our uh, long uh, long Russia conviction story, uh, given the oil prices, but we still uh, uh, believe that we can recover. Uh, as soon as the oil markets will recover, given the policy of earnings that we uh, we will uh, uh, we will uh, trace back. Um, in terms of the um, uh, our biases uh, for uh, for the industries, uh, we had a strong uh, component that has worked uh, relatively well was uh, domestically oriented technology sector, which we were overweight, and actually that that is helping us in this environment. Uh, but we are tentatively uh, looking to start increasing some of our cyclical stories, so moving away from more defensive uh, opportunities like utilities, uh, we believe we uh, can start uh, uh, looking at um, some of the beaten up uh, cyclical stories uh, uh, in the light of improvements that we are seeing in Asia uh, from the um, the virus perspective. So uh, these are our uh, convictions and we will continue uh, of course, looking at um, how uh, the impact of the virus will be impacting uh, uh, overall uh, supply chains, which is uh, uh, which is also um, uh, quite a, a big component of our uh, sectorial uh, biases. Thanks very much. I think we're moving to the end of this conversation, but uh, your last point, Alan, um, I would like to ask you, uh, you and Alicia, so maybe by you, Yarlan, a question uh, that was not completely scheduled, but I think it's uh, an interesting one from a long-term perspective. Um, do you personally think that uh, we are at a moment where we could see some kind of deglobalization movement at a relatively high pace that therefore could have a strong impact on emerging countries? Uh, do you believe in that story uh, that uh, starts, uh, I would say, to be discussed here and there in the market or not in a short answer. So first you, Yalan, and then Alicia. Well, I think that the, uh, the globalization has been taking place uh, already for, uh, for some time. Uh, we, uh, we, of course, see that there, there are dangers of um, uh, being completely globalized, given that how we have seen the impact of the supply chain uh, on the global economy. Uh, we will clearly see more populist uh, uh, voices coming from uh, different corners of the world uh, looking to localize production and localize consumption. So I think this obviously will continue to uh, to take place as we have seen already with the Trump administration. Uh, however, I think the vulnerabilities uh, of, of, uh, of, of this models as well are clear if you look even at supply chains on the um uh, on the food uh, on the food stuff uh, the food supplies uh, the more diversified you are in terms of the food supplies the better in this kind of circumstances because clearly uh, uh this sort of events 
uh, can really jeopardize uh, the models on the um, food, food safety. So I think uh, uh, even from the commodities perspective, the, the similar situation that we have seen now, which was probably unheard of, uh, the um, uh, uh, Trump's administration uh, uh, threat uh, uh, towards uh, some OPEC members uh, around imposition in, in of tariffs has been quite unprecedented. Uh, uh, if you think about uh, commodity markets, and this, unfortunately, uh, uh, something that will probably uh, will enter into the commodities world as well. Uh, uh, the, the, the the world of uh, uh, the world of uh, tra- uh, tariffs and imposition of uh, trade barriers. So I think, uh, unfortunately, I, my prediction that we will continue seeing uh, that um, uh, that the trend, uh, but I don't think we will have a significant acceleration of that. Of course, bar the um, all of the travel restrictions that we have today, which is obviously another way of, to manifest um, uh, uh, deglobalization. Thanks, Alicia. You you and you will have, I would say, yes. the last word. So thank you. So uh, my view is not very much different from the airlines one. So when you think about the, the globalization process uh, in place, so the first uh, link that I think of is the uh, uh, supply chain disruption, as we as we know it, and that it is uh, an outcome of the current uh, of the current crisis, and is probably one of the nastiest retroactive uh, loop that we are having uh, in this uh, in this current uh, environment. So uh, by necessity. Uh, Countries uh, have been forced to, or will be forced to reshore part of the productive uh, productive chain. And if I think about, for example, the difficulty to uh, gather uh, medical supplies in, at the moment of the crisis in Italy, because most of them were coming from other countries, namely uh, China, for example, or the, uh, uh, let's say, in a, in a, on a lighter tone, uh, the uh, call center not properly working because India is under lockdown, that will force, in a way, uh, certain big companies in the Western countries to rethink to their uh, uh, to their productive model, and this is the impact coming from the uh, supply chain uh, disruption. So, it is for sure is not uh, a good uh, a good outcome because it's pointing uh, towards uh, a lower productivity, but even higher inflation because the uh, wages. Uh, uh, of uh, call centers uh, uh, agents in the Western world are probably different from the ones that uh, this company pay in, uh, uh, in India. So uh, productivity was already declining. Uh, this process will uh, will uh, can easily take to uh, a world where productivity will be lower and inflation higher. But having said that, this is not something that is going to happen in few months or in uh, in, uh, in one year. So it is a process that, in a way, has been triggered even by the current crisis, but can even be uh, slowed down in a, in, a, in a period of uh, of recovery like the ones that we all expect after the current uh, the current crisis. The process of deglobalization also uh, comes along with the process of regionalization, and uh, you know, country blocks uh, uh, that we were discussing some of the themes. For example, um, in emerging markets, we have a, a one road, uh, one belt, one road theme, uh, or new Silk Road theme that has actually been very interestingly working um, in favor of those countries which had uh, Chinese uh, um, links. Uh, both from the funding perspective, but also from the know-how and uh, uh, equipment uh, to fight coronavirus. So uh, we will continue seeing strengthening of this regionalization trend along the side of the deglobalization. 
Yeah, thank you very much. I think it's a very good point. Uh, I think we will, in the next conversation, discuss a little bit about uh, also uh, are we going to a world where there will be more inflation or not? Maybe a part uh, of the answer uh, is uh, in some of the elements you mentioned. So I think we're coming to the end of this conversation. Thank you very much uh, for both of you uh, for this detailed explanation uh, for and this also, I would say, defensive mode, but still considering uh, there are opportunities to explore. Uh, see you next week for another conversation uh, and keep safe in between. Thanks, Celestia. Thanks, Alan. See you soon. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC dated 21st of April 2004 on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.